Morning, everyone. If you'd like to turn with me, please, to the book of Nehemiah. And this morning we're in chapter 12, with the second last uh, chapter of the book. Uh, next week we'll uh, conclude our series in uh, the book of Nehemiah. And today we're focusing in chapter 12. We're looking at verses 27 through to 43. And these are the words of Nehemiah as inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings and with singing, with cymbals, harps and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophathites, also from Beth Gilgal, and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the Dungate, and after them went Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshullam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priest's sons with trumpets, Zechariah the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zakur, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Gilalai, Ma'ai, Nethanel, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them, and at the fountain gate they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the ascent of the wall, above the house of David, to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed with them half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, and by the gate of Yeshana, and by the fish gate and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me. And the priests, Eliakim, Messiah, Minamin, Micaiah, Elioni, Zechariah, and Hananiah, with trumpets, and Messiah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzi, Johanan, Malchijah, Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang with Jezrehiah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we now turn our attention to your word, to the preaching of it, we pray that our hearts might just be attentive to that which you would say to us and teach us through it. Lord, we don't want to just be uh, people who hear the words, but we also want to be doers of the words. And we pray that you would uh, take 
these words, apply them to our hearts, and then help us to live them out uh, in the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, you know, if you were to sum up this particular section of Nehemiah in one word, I wonder if you would sum it up the same way I did, because I think the word is joy, don't you? Joy. Of course, as you read through these verses, you encounter words like this, celebration, gladness, thanksgiving, singing, music. In fact, in the last verse that we read in verse 43, the word joy or rejoice is mentioned five times just in that single verse alone. And we're told that the reason for this particular joyous celebration is the occasion of the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem. We see that in verse 27 of our passage today. Of course, if we cast our minds right back to uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, you might recall that when Nehemiah was visited by his brother Hanani back there in Babylon, it was reported to him that not only were the walls and the gates broken down and destroyed, but the people in the city and the people surrounding the city were experiencing great trouble and great shame. And so from Nehemiah chapter 1 now to Nehemiah chapter 12, there's this incredible contrast of you know, this, this destruction and this devastation, this, this shame and this trouble, to now this rejoicing and this celebration and, and great joy in the people's hearts. You know, within this relatively short space of time, this incredible transformation has taken place. Not just in the, uh, the landscape and the infrastructure of the city itself, but more so in the hearts and the lives of the people. Of course, as we begin here in verse 27, we see that these, the preparations are underway to celebrate this particular dedication of the wall of Jerusalem. Now, I don't know what comes to mind when you think of the word dedicate, but you know, to dedicate basically means something along the lines that a particular object or, uh, has, has been set aside for a special purpose or there is, uh, you know, it's, it's set aside for a special memory to a particular person. Uh, people nowadays, you might uh, read books and there's a, there's a dedication in the front of the book. The person might dedicate that book to the memory of someone or to, uh, to those who uh, have helped that person write that book. You might uh, recall that at times we have uh, dedication services up here on, the, uh, on the, uh, the stage here, dedications of children and their parents. What we're doing there is we're actually setting apart or dedicating the parents to that incredibly uh, special privilege of being uh, able to raise that child in the ways of the Lord and to, and to give thanks and remember that is, that child is in, in, indeed a gift from God themselves and uh, that child is entrusted into that parent's care. And, of course, we then also ask that God's blessing would be upon that child, that as they grow and as they are influenced by that, uh, that godly example of their parents and that teaching, that that child might come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their own and then themselves live for him and for his glory. We dedicate these things. Of course, as we uh, look here, particularly in terms of the, uh, the people of Jerusalem, they are um, particularly dedicating the walls and the gates of the city in order to set them apart for the purpose of honouring God and reminding them of, his, of God's faithfulness to them as his people. What we need to also realise here, though, is that you know, it's not just that the walls and the gates that are being dedicated here. 
Because the wall and the gates actually encompassed the whole city. They surrounded the whole city. And so symbolically, they were representing everything within that city, including the people who belonged to it. And so by dedicating the wall and the gates, the people themselves were committing themselves to the purpose of living for God and their desire to want to honour him with their lives. Well, seeing as it's, it's such a special and significant occasion, a lot goes into the preparation for this particular day, for this particular celebration. As we read through the passage in verse 28, we see that uh, the Levites were brought to Jerusalem and, and to help the people uh, in their worship and in this particular dedication ceremony. The Levites, were, of course, were the priests. They were set apart by God to lead the people of God in worship of God. And along with the Levites, we also read that the singers and the musicians were brought into the city to help the people celebrate too. We see that in verse 28 and 29 of the passage today, as if you're following through in your Bibles. See, the people, they went to a lot of effort in their worship of God. And I, uh, you know, make, uh, as I was you know, preparing this message this week, it just reminded me and, and again gave me cause to give thanks to God for those who actually assist us in our worship of God week in and week out here as his church, as his people. We thank God for those who uh, play the instruments, who have got, been given these God-given talents to play instruments and to sing with their voices and to help us to lift our voices to God in our praise and worship of him. But as we read this passage, we see that before any particular celebrating began, we read in verse 30 that the Levites purified themselves and the people and the walls and the gates. Verse 30, the priests and the Levites purified themselves. They purified the people and the gates and the wall. Now, we're not told what this purification process actually involved here. The writer doesn't go into that. But as we look back through scripture, we see in other passages, we're told that, that what that might include. It might include, for instance, ritual washing of themselves and of their clothes. It might have involved fasting and the offering of sacrifices. It might have even involved the removal of certain items of stuff from their homes and from their lives. What we need to do is we need to pause here and remind ourselves what this particular purification process was, why it took place. Because what was happening here is that the, the priests were, were, were purifying themselves and the people and the things that they were dedicating to God to remind everyone that God, in order to approach God, God is a holy God, that God is pure and perfect, that God is absolutely righteous and glorious. And so before they came before him with their praise and their thanksgiving, they needed to make every effort to cleanse themselves of things in their lives which were unholy or sinful. The people knew that to approach God was indeed a serious matter and they should not approach him flippantly or without proper reverence and proper awe. And again, it's a good reminder for us as we gather ourselves as the people of God, how we approach God. Of course, in the light of the New Testament, we know that there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves acceptable to God. No amount of religious ritual, no amount of good works can remove the stain of our sin before him. 
But it is only by placing our faith and trust in Jesus and believing that, that, that he alone, through his sacrificial death on the cross and through his resurrection from the dead, that our sins can indeed be paid for and forgiven. That we ourselves can actually be made right and acceptable with this holy God and then have the assurance of knowing that we are indeed his beloved children. We must never forget that God is holy and deserves our absolute reverence and awe. And so we need to make every effort as we come before him to come before him in the proper way befitting his holiness and his majesty and his glory. Of course, next in the passage we read that Nehemiah ordered that two choirs be brought up onto the wall. The first of these choirs would proceed to the south and they would be accompanied by half of the leaders under the direction of Ezra. And the other choir would proceed then to the north with the other half of the leaders and Nehemiah following behind. And we see that in verses 31 to 39. I'm not going to read through that again with all of those names and that sort of stuff. I'm lucky to get through it the first time. But of course, in doing this, what the, the choirs themselves were doing as well as they walked around the city, they too were surrounding the city and filling the city with their voices, the sound of that praise and that worship of God. As I said before, the wall's purpose was more than just providing a, a physical barrier to those outside and, and more than providing just a sense of security and safety to those on the inside. The wall itself defined the city. It gave the city its identity and its scope. We need to keep that in mind because what I want to talk to you about now, I just want to share with you, when I was baptised, and this is what, just is something that uh, just uh, as I was meditating upon this through the week, you know, when I was baptised, not long after I became a follower of Jesus, a coral gave me a Bible. And in the front of that Bible, she wrote these words. Allow me to read them to you. They're from Zephaniah 3.17. You might uh, be familiar with them. It says this. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And as I reflected on this, these choirs walking around the, the walls of the city, encompassing the people of God there in that place, it, this, this verse came immediately to mind about you know, this, this incredible picture of God himself you know, looking over us as his people. You know, reading through that verse, it reminded me again you know, that when God saved me, he claimed me as his own. He took a life that was a mess. He took a life that was broken down and full of the devastating effects of sin. And he took that life and he renewed me and he restored me. He gave me a new life. He gave me a fresh start. He forgave my sin and gave me, and gave me a new purpose. He filled me with his joy and with his hope. We were sharing actually at, uh, at uh, Connect Group during the week about uh, the um, you know, different blessings of God in our lives, and we're talking about you know coming to faith in Christ. And I remember actually uh, you know clearly, very vividly, those first weeks, months 
after I became a follower of Jesus, the joy that filled my heart was a joy inexpressible, as Paul calls it. I don't know if that's the same for many of you, that joy. And as I reflected back on that, I thought, Lord, where's that joy gone? Where is that joy now? And I think that's the same for many of us. We, we may have had that joy, but for, for whatever reason, we kind of lost, we've lost sight of it. The joy has been kind of uh, pushed down with all of the trials and all the tribulations and all the pressures and all the hardships of life all those difficulties or it's, it's been pushed down because of perhaps a, a lot of hurt and a lot of grief and that sort of thing that we've experienced in our lives. But we need to be reminded afresh of, the fact of, of this, that, uh, you know, that, that what I said there of myself, it is the same for each and every one of us if we're a follower of Jesus. I want you to think for a minute and, and, and just reflect upon again as I read through these words of Zephaniah 3.17 and apply them to yourselves this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus, these words can be said about you. The Lord your God is in your midst. He is there with you. He's a mighty one who saves mighty in that there is nothing beyond his power or scope or ability anything he sets his mind to he will accomplish he that is god will rejoice over you with gladness have you ever thought about that the fact that god rejoices over you with gladness because you are his precious child he will quiet you with his love and he will exult over you with loud singing. See, what this particular verse is reflecting on, it's reflecting upon our identity as a child of God. And, you know, our identity is now found not in the things we have. It's not found in the things that we achieve. Our identity is not found in the things that we do, nor is it found in the accolades of others. But no, our identity is found alone in Jesus Christ. We are a precious and treasured child of God, forgiven and cleansed, loved unconditionally, set apart for him and for his purposes. We are joint heirs with Christ of all the blessings that are his. And this is what the people in Nehemiah's day had begun to grasp. And that is the extent of God's love and faithfulness towards them. And it resulted in loud and exuberant praise and thanksgiving and rejoicing in the hearts of those people. And it resulted in them wanting to set themselves apart for God and to live for his glory. One of the things that, uh, as you read through this, you know, the people, weren't, the people weren't encouraged to be joyful. The people weren't commanded to be joyful. The people were just joyful. It was just a natural expression of their hearts and of their lives because of God's goodness and faithfulness to them as his people. 
And I think we need, as, as followers of Jesus today, we need to continually come back to reminding ourselves of who our identity is in Christ. You know, as the people watched the choirs march around that wall of the city, they would have been reminded of the incredible sorry state in which those walls once were. Of the, to- of the toil and the hard work that went in to rebuilding the walls and the gates and, and amidst all the threats and opposition that accompanied that rebuilding process. But now what they can do is they see these choirs singing, you know, singing these beautiful praises of God around the wall as the musicians play this beautiful loud music. They can now see that through it all, God has blessed them and has proved faithful to them. Even though the people had neglected God, even though they had proved faithless, and even though their enemies had appeared powerful and there were setbacks and difficulties along the way, God had brought them through. He had never failed them. And folks, it's the same for us, isn't it? What can be said of the people here in Nehemiah's day can be said exactly the same of you and me living for God today. That yes, we ourselves, you know, we belong to God. He never forsakes us. We may neglect him, and we do. We may doubt him, and we do. We may disobey God, and we do. But God himself always provides the way of forgiveness and restoration through Jesus Christ. And we can always be assured of God's love and of his mercy and his grace towards us. And that should be the source of our joy. That alone needs to be the source of our joy. Because the world around us will have us believe that our joy is to be found in things like material possessions and wealth or in our social standing, or in our accomplishments, or our achievements, our relationships, or the security which we've enabled to to build in around our our lives through through our wealth and through our health and that sort of thing. In other words, our circumstances. The world would tell us today that our joy is to be found in our circumstances. And yet, none of these things are either guaranteed nor are they permanent. And if our joy is found in these things and these alone, then when they are removed from our lives, then so is our joy removed. No, for the follower of Jesus, our joy is found in him and in his love and his grace and his mercy towards us, in the assured confidence that we are his and that he will never abandon us, that it is found in the knowledge that we are valuable and precious in his sight. It is to be found in the knowledge of the wonderful hope that we have that we will forever belong to Jesus and will live one day forever with him in his glorious kingdom. That is where our joy needs to be found. As we read through this procession, we see that it culminates with this incredible great worship service in the temple. We see that in verses 40 to 43. It says, so both the choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God. That is the temple. 
They marched around the wall to the, to the north and to the south and they gathered there and they'd all come and then they all congregated there in the house of God, in the temple of God. And then they had this incredible worship service where the, there was loud music. And let me tell you, it was loud because it speaks about cymbals and trumpets. Cymbals and trumpets are not quiet instruments. Think about that the next time you want to complain about the drums, by the way. <clears throat> Ouch. <laughs> One of the things that should characterize us as the people of God, when we gather together, should be a sense of celebration and of thanksgiving and joy and gladness in our hearts. I wonder, does that characterise us? That's not to say that there are times when we gather where there should not be a sense of sadness and a sense of lament. We're sad over the things we lose, particularly people we lose who are close to us. We're sad when we see the terrible tragedies and things that unfold around us in our world. We lament the fact that we see in our country a continual turning away and denying of our Christian heritage as a, as a country. And we lament the, the, some of the laws and things that are being made now which go against God's ultimate and glorious plans for his creatures. But even in the midst of that sadness and that lamenting, there should still be a sense of deep down joy in our hearts of knowing that God has us in the very palm of his hands and there is nothing that can change that. There is nothing that can take that away. And that for the child of God, you are precious to him. The Lord your God is in your midst. He is a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. Well, he does rejoice over you with gladness. He does quiet us with his love. He does exult over us with loud singing. As we gather as God's people here on a Sunday, these times should ordinarily be characterised by celebration and thanksgiving and great joy. It should be a time where we gather together and we remind ourselves of God's love and mercy towards us as his people, of his faithfulness towards us in our lives, of his goodness to us in his provision. But it should also be a time where we rededicate ourselves to living lives that seek to honour him. Because we have the most wonderful God and Saviour who is ever faithful. Amen. In Nehemiah's day, the people we read offered great sacrifices. Our sacrifice should be the offering of ourselves in grateful thanksgiving to God. The sacrifice of praise from our lips and the sacrifice of praise from our lives. As we get to the end of this passage, we read these words. 
and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Their joy, the joy of the people, was a great witness of God's goodness. Not only to the people there in that gathered in that 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 center, that that that, that house of God that day, not only just in the city, the confines of the city, but of the but of the surrounding villages and regions. You couldn't help but hear the people's joy, the joy of their hearts reflected in their praises and their adoration and their worship of God. As I look around our world today, I can't help but think that this is the kind of joy that our world desperately seeks after, desperately longs for in their hearts. And they're willing to pay enormous costs to find this kind of joy. And yet they go looking for it in all of the wrong places. They need to know a joy that is like no other. A joy that is not based on circumstances and stuff, but instead on the unshakable and unchanging grace and faithfulness of God, the truth of God. It's this joy that God wants us to know in our lives and to reflect to those around about us who don't know what that joy is like. I wonder how far out our joy radiates to those around about us from our lives. I've been really convicted this week in my own heart about, you know, I'm, honestly, I am not a particularly joyous person. Well, it doesn't show very much anyway. I've got an incredible joy because of the joy that God has placed in my heart, but I don't let it show. And there's a few reasons for that. I don't let it show because I've used this as a bit of an excuse, by the way, too. I'm shy and I'm an introvert. And I use that as an excuse time after time after time to kind of dampen down the joy. I don't know, maybe you're a bit the same as, like that too. But if God has truly captured our hearts, we've got to let the joy out. We've got to let it out. And so I'm asking you to challenge me about that, but I want to challenge you about that as well. Can we let the joy out? Can we let the joy of God in our hearts out to those around about us? But it needs to start here needs to start here in this place. If we can't let the joy out to those here, our brothers and sisters in the Lord, then we're not going to let it out to those around about us out there, are we? It's got to begin here. Let us let the joy out. That joy can only be found in God. We can only get it from God. Look, verse 43, it says, it's, verse 43, it says that God made them rejoice with great joy. That joy can only be found in God. No, nothing else or no one else. 
And so I just want to challenge you today. If you're sitting here and you're not sure of that joy, you don't know how to get that joy, let me point you first and and foremostly to the God who can give you that joy in your heart. Psalm 1611 says, You, that is God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures evermore. Not only do we get it from God, but we also get it by regularly remembering and reflecting on his love and his faithfulness. And I encourage you too to tell others, to, 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 to look at your life and look at the ways God has been faithful to you and has, has blessed you and has encouraged you and has walked your journey with you and share that with others that you might encourage them in their faith and in their thankfulness as well to God. We need to regularly remember and reflect on God's love and his faithfulness. And finally, we get it from being thankful to God for all he has given us. As a challenge this week to go away and write down a list of 20 things that you can be thankful to God for this week. That's your homework. 20 things. I want to challenge you because I actually would like perhaps you know, a couple of people to come here next Sunday and share some of those things with us. To share some of those 20 things that they've written down that they can be thankful to God for in their lives. I can't help but see from this passage that the people's joy is their natural response when God is placed at the centre of their lives. Don't miss that, folks, because if that is the one thing you take away from this message today, let it be this, that the people's joy come, or the, the people's joy is a natural response, their natural response, when God is placed at the centre of their lives. And so I ask you this morning, what place does God have in your life right now? What place does he have in your life right now? Well, I'm going to ask the, uh, those who are serving on the communion table to come forward. Because as we uh, close our time together this morning uh, in God's word, here is a, a wonderful opportunity for us to sit and remember and reflect quietly upon those things, with these things we've just spoken about. Perhaps the first question you might ask yourself is, what place, Lord, what place, God, do you have in my life right now? And to be honest about that and to be upfront with God about that. Does God have that place, that place of priority, of importance, of significance in your life right now? Does he have that, that, that uh, is he seated on the throne of your life right now? Perhaps if he doesn't, you can perhaps you know, look at the fact that, you know, that God, even, even in the midst of your, your rebellion and your, your rejection of him or your desire to want to, to take him off the throne of your life and put yourself there to follow your own ways, here's a great opportunity to come before God and say, Lord, I know that I've gotten off track. I know that I'm not living my life the way that I should be and the way which, which is going to actually help me experience the most joy in my heart 
with you at the centre. And so I want to say sorry, Lord, for that now. I want to say sorry for all the ways in which I have failed you, for all the ways that I have sinned against you in my life. And I want to come and confess those and repent of those this morning to turn away from that and instead, Lord, to turn to you and say, I want you to be the one who is the ruler of my heart and of my life. Here's a great opportunity to do that as we come around this table this morning. It might be that you're doing that, you know, um, for the, I don't know, the umpteenth time. God is a God who forgives. God, there is no, there is no limit to the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy of God. So you can do that comfortably this morning and confidently knowing that God will forgive you. You may be doing that for the very first time this morning. Realizing the fact that, you know, you've been, you know, in your life, you've been seeking after that which you would hope would have brought you joy, but you know deep down that it has left you with this emptiness. Knowing that, that those things that you've chased after for your joy have left you bereft of, 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 of that, that joy in your heart. And God is inviting you this morning to come and partake of His joy. A joy that is like no other. But in order to do that, God asks of you to turn away from all these other things in your life, to confess your sin before him, to confess your need of him and of Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, and to come and before him and ask his forgiveness today. If you're doing that for the first time, I'd love to hear from you, by the way, after the service. Because I'd love to pray with you and, and to, uh, to help you to then learn more about the life that God has planned for you. This table speaks of God's forgiveness and of his love and of his grace and mercy. It speaks of these elements actually are symbolic of the, the death and resurrection of our, son, of, of, our, of our Lord Jesus, the Son of God. The bread speaks of his body given for us. The, the grape juice speaks of his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. But what this table also points to is a new start, a fresh start. And it points to a new hope that we can have in Jesus as our saviour. And so if you come in that attitude this morning, I invite you to partake of these elements as we, we pass them out. Take the bread, eat of the bread remembering the sacrifice that Jesus has made on your, on your behalf. But I ask you to hold the cup that we all might drink together in fellowship this morning. By the way, the, the little bread in the, uh, the cups on the uh, cup trays, that's the gluten-free bread if, you, if you're actually gluten-free. I'm going to go and hand these out now. Along with These stewards are going to hand them out. And before we do that, let us pray. Father, we want to thank you this morning for this great reminder from your word that only in you... Only in your presence is there a fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures evermore. So we ask that as you have made known to us this morning the path of life through your word, that we might respond to that in gratefulness and thanksgiving. But also, Lord, in confession and repentance if we need to in that regard too. And Lord, we pray that, uh, that we might like the people here in Nehemiah's day this morning, rededicate ourselves to you and for your glory, for your purposes. May you take our lives, 
Lord, may you, may you take them as, a, as an offering to you today. And may you take that offering and you, may you bless and, and fulfil your purposes in us and through us. 